The emergence of COVID-19 has forced the legal industry to rapidly undergo a fundamental transformation. I'm Jack Newton, CEO and co-founder of Clio, the world's leading cloud-based legal software provider. In each episode of Daily Matters, we'll explore what this new normal means for law firms, how legal professionals can find success while working remotely, and how lawyers can best serve their clients during this unprecedented situation. Today, we welcome Nika Kabiri to the show. Nika is a JD PhD and the founder of Kabiri Consulting, where she leverages data and the power of decision science to help businesses improve. Welcome to the show, Nika. Hi, thanks for having me. So, Nika, uh, first of all, how are you and your family doing? Um, we're doing great. Um, my family, I, I don't, I'm not married, I don't have kids, so my family really consists of extended family. My parents are in Texas, they're still healthy. Um, my sister and her family are in Austin. Um, they're doing great. And um, yeah, I'm just hanging in there. Glad, glad to hear it. Um, yeah. Glad to hear everyone's well. And, you know, I'm curious, we're, we're in crazy times with, with COVID-19. Uh, what do you find yourself thinking about the most right now? Yeah, you know, it's kind of interesting because like I said, I don't have anyone, like I don't have family or anything like that. So I spend most of my time thinking, um, like a social scientist, which is what I spend my whole day doing. And I kind of, I alternate between these really mundane things and then these really kind of dramatic, serious things. So one moment I'll be thinking, just kind of immersed in like, what is our society going to look like in five years and try to wrap my head around that with these big ideas. And then other moments I'm like, why do I even need to wear earrings for this interview? Like, what do earrings even mean anymore? <laughs> right. You know, like, what? My whole wardrobe is irrelevant now. Like, why did we even have one? And so I start thinking about the, like, the social implications and influences that made us do all these things that we don't do anymore, and they weren't necessary. Anyway, it just that's the sort of stuff that occupies my brain. Yeah, and it's uh, it just makes you reassess everything, doesn't it? Just totally. a, a totally new context to be operating within. Um, so Nika, I've had the good fortune of working with you, uh, over several years now on a variety of research projects at Clio. So I know you well, uh, but I wonder if for the benefit of our listeners, if you could share us a little bit about your experience, your background, um, and, and how you help businesses through the, the research work you do. Sure, sure. So, um, I, I'm really a social scientist. I specialize in um, decision science, which is the study of human decision-making. Um, I got my PhD at the University of Washington in sociology. And um, while there, I specialized in rational choice theory and game theory and thinking about decision-making and the impact of social constraints on that. And then when I graduated from, from there, I went on to do consumer research and spent the last oh, more than a decade researching consumers and their decision-making and helping businesses understand how to influence consumer decisions to get them to buy more or to be brand loyals. Um, Mm -hmm. So that's what I do now in my consultancy. Um, I do research for for clients, but I also do consulting and bringing in, you know, there's a lot of research that's already been done out there by Nobel Prize winners that, you know, like, like in this book nudge that I have sitting right here. Oh that, yeah, that could totally help businesses and nobody's really leveraging it in that way. So clients will come to me and say, Hey, should we do even in our broad pricing on our, on our new service? And I'll, and I'll just, you know, I'll advise them say, depends on what you want to do and um, just bring in some behavioral economics or sociology or psychology into it. So that's pretty much me. 
Yeah, there's a an enormously vast pool of knowledge out there to be leveraged by businesses if they if they only knew about it. But it's often just a matter of connecting those dots, isn't it? Totally. It's a it's a matter the connecting the dots is a skill set that's or a skill that's so so important. I think it's a really powerful skill. Um, but it's also the case that a lot of these these research studies or these um, academic this academic work that's been done is really not that accessible. It's hard to find and they, it's not really well written either. It's almost like you mm-hmm. have to get, it's like lawyers. You have to get trained in lawyer talk in order right. to know other lawyers are kind of writing in a contract. Right. Um, so I kind of feel like a translator a lot of times. You know? I don't know. Uh, yeah, ab- absolutely. And, and translating from the world of academia where there's a mm-hmm. lot of powerful insights to applied, you know, business knowledge. Um, you know, is, is a really powerful skill. So Nika, you've, you've worked in the legal industry for, for years now. You've worked mm-hmm. with Clio over the last few years on, on research relating to our legal trends report. Uh, prior to that, you worked at Avo. Um, you've, you've had the benefit of, of seeing both how lawyers act as well as uh, consumers in the legal space. And I'm, I'm wondering if you could share maybe just to, to set the stage for the rest of our conversation, some insights in general you have about you know, consumer behavior that our listeners might find interesting or even surprising, and in particular, legal consumers is are there aspects of their behavior that uh, you wish more lawyers knew about? Yeah. So, um, and I can talk about this in terms of pre-COVID trends, post-COVID trends, and then pre-COVID trends that haven't really changed. Um, you know, now that COVID's happened, but. Um, I think what a lot of lawyers misunderstand, unfortunately, is that people are people no matter what decisions they're making. So right. whether they're deciding to hire a lawyer or buy a car, they're not going to suddenly be someone different than who they right. are. Um, so knowing how consumers make decisions in every aspect of their lives or what they really want um, can help lawyers understand how they interact with them or how they react to their marketing or their services. Um, and one thing that, um, that I feel like lawyers are kind of behind on tech as it is anyway, but they're also kind of, from what I, I've gathered from my research, this isn't, I don't mean this to be a blanket statement, but um, they underestimate the ability of consumers to find their own answers, but also the, um, the overconfidence that consumers might have, this overconfidence bias that they might have and believing that they can know by just researching online. So they have access to all this information they didn't have, you know, 20 years ago, maybe even 10 years ago. And this has given them a sense of empowerment and control, a feeling of, okay, I, man, I know this, like, what do lawyers do anyway? Like I can do this. This is easy. Just like self-diagnosing cancer, right? Like I can do this. Um, And I think lawyers have to contend with that. And I think a lot of lawyers are frustrated. They get frustrated with it but it's just the way of the world and right. that's how consumers are it's, it's the same dynamic i guess a, a consumer walking into a doctor's office having spent the the day on webmd and saying i've got my my issue all figured out can you just write me the prescription it's it's totally. that kind of dynamic on the, the legal side that lawyers have to contend with totally totally and and it's not just professionals they'll do this when they buy a car they'll just walk in and say give me the right price they know what they want sales yeah. not really important anymore um and sometimes they don't know what they're talking about, but they think they do. And that's what really matters. So that's a really interesting kind of, I think, a, a kind of a gap in what lawyers think is going on and what consumers are actually doing. 
And um, yeah. you mentioned a little bit about the, the, the shift maybe in pre-COVID-19 mm-hmm. consumer behavior and post-COVID-19 consumer behavior. Uh, and I know it's early days where, you know, s- six weeks or so into, you know, the pretty broad-based uh, isolation and social distancing uh, that we've seen, you know, in the U.S. and, and around the world. But are there early signals that you're seeing in terms of how consumer behavior might be shifting and, and maybe, you know, in particular, how, how businesses, including law firms, might start to think about recalibrating their positioning or messaging or otherwise to, to cater to those new expectations? Yeah. Um, so I, I want to start by saying um, I'm really kind of sick and tired of everyone saying these are times like this is a time of uncertainty. Like these are times of uncertainty, but it they are. As, yeah. as much as I'm really tired of hearing everyone just start their marketing messaging with in these uncertain times, it can't be more accurate. Right. And um, and you know when times are unpredictable and uncertain, people um, they kind of their brain does funky things, and they get um, people get influenced by social constraints more so than they normally would. And so they're just going to act. I mean, people want a sense of control that they didn't have before. And so they're making decisions either in how they, what they buy, like toilet paper, or how they hire a lawyer um, in ways that might reflect this high stress need for control um, kind of experience of being in times of uncertainty. So I think what the COVID world is kind of doing to people is um, it's kind of putting them into this weird headspace where they can't really know what to do or how to make decisions. So, I mean, it is still early. We see certain trends, but, um, but I think it's, it's hard to predict what people are going to do because I think they aren't able to predict what they're going to do. But and are there some North yeah. stars that people are looking for that you think actually span, you know, <sighs> a crisis, but also, you know, beyond that crisis that, that are kind of inalienable uh, features of, of yeah. behavior that we can be talking about here too. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll put it in like a decision science framework. I'll come from that angle, sure. which is that in order to make the right choices, like as consumers, as people, as policymakers, as the president, in order to make right choices, you have to have the right information, you have to have some level of um, certainty over what the outcome might be, and nobody knows anything, and nothing, everything is up in the air. So what people end up doing is use men- using mental shortcuts to make their choices, to make their decisions. So broad trends, like I'm not surprised that there's a toilet paper shortage, like that's not shocking to me, and I wouldn't necessarily say it's panic buying. It's something that happens when things are uncertain. You don't know what's going on, you can't predict what other people are going to do. You might hear rumors, so you don't have adequate information. So even a rational person might overbuy toilet paper in a circumstance like that. Um, well, especially the first time you go in a store and see bare shelves, I think you see people instantly go into kind of, you know, their, the lower reptile brain kicks in and people, you know, that are otherwise completely rational start stockpiling. Totally. I mean, I, I, wouldn't, I don't fault, the, I fault the people who hoard and then try to like sell sell stuff back yes. or, you know, that yeah. is a little criminal, but, um, yeah, I mean, it's not, it's not, to me, it's not panic. It's not, um, crazy behavior. So it's like in little instances of that, that you might see in 
the COVID pandemic, or you might see in wartime, like if we had an alien invasion, you would see the same sorts of mental shortcuts happening, not really being able to predict what's, what's, going, what, what's going to happen. Um, like looking for, so I wrote this blog post in Medium about this. Right. Um, so one thing that people tend to do in times like this is look for connections between things that may not be there. Like what happened in the 1918 flu pandemic? Can, can we predict what's going to happen to us if we look at that? And what they do is they look for all these similarities, but they really don't look at the differences because they really want to know and they want to feel the sense of control. So um, they look for those similarities, they focus on those, and then they draw conclusions about what they think is going to happen without really knowing for sure if it's going to happen. This could lead to self-fulfilling prophecy, this could lead to disappointment, but it's something that people do when they have nothing else to hang on to, um, just as an example. So and there are some trends that we see also kind of popping up in, um, in legal consumer behavior as well that reflect what's going on overall. Yeah, we'd so, love to hear more about that. Yeah, so one thing that we did, so, you know, I've been working with Clay over the past couple months to do just really consistent, regular, multiple wave research of consumers and lawyers so that we can figure out over time during this COVID crisis, like how perceptions have changed, how attitudes have changed. Um, and what people are doing differently. And I think one really remarkable finding from the study, from the consumer side, is how about, I think it's about one in five consumers have said that they feel, they believe that lawyers, that most lawyers have pretty, pretty much stopped practicing law. Like they just aren't practicing law. And that and one in five also say that lawyers are not going to be able to offer quality services to their clients during this, mm. this COVID crisis. Now, about twice as many of, of um, consumers disagree with that. Like about half believe that lawyers are going to still be around and they're still going to do a good job. But the fact that there's one in five of, of them out there kind of losing faith, like the, the, the fact that this unpredictability of the universe around COVID is sort of like seeped into them believing there's unpredictability about everything about lawyers right. being there is just, it's, that's pretty remarkable well, you, you to me. Think about that for a second. I mean, one in five doesn't sound like much until you reframe it and say 20% of the market basically just self-selected mm -hmm. out of mm -hmm. working with a lawyer before even reaching out to a lawyer. Their default assumption is lawyers have gone home for, you know, the, the COVID-19 crisis and there's no point in even reaching out to one. Yeah. Totally. And, and that's not to say that people that we surveyed don't find lawyers valuable. I mean, about eight in 10 said that lawyers are essential um, to our, you know, to our society. But, um, you know, yeah, it, if for every five people that could be calling your office, there's one that just won't now. It's right. Remarkable. Um, yeah. So there's, there are trends of, of, of that that pop up too, like this assumption that well, everything's all, you know, everything's just kind of messed up and nothing is going to, um, is going to be around and I've lost faith in everything. And, um, yeah, that seems to be happening for some people. In the legal and do, as a lawyer, what, what are you able to do about that? Do you, do you see there being any actionable insights from this research that lawyers can think about how they, they pivot their behavior to, to kind of cope in this, in this environment where they're, their prospective clients may be acting in, you know, very unpredictable ways, or even if they are predictable, thanks to the research that, that we've done together, uh, maybe it's hard to anticipate how you engineer 
against that and optimize for it? Yeah, it's really hard to change the minds of those people. Um, but one thing that uh, is pretty, I, I hate to use the word guarantee, but I'm going to say it pretty guaranteed these days is that people are online and yes. um, lawyers that are, um, and these aren't just lawyers that we survey, but these are lawyers I personally talk to that are tech forward that have set up virtual practices. Like I talked to a lawyer not long ago who had a, a virtual practice before COVID even happened. And that transition for her has been seamless and she hasn't been having seeing any change really in what she's been doing. So um, I think being out there online, um, not just marketing online um, in a classy way these days, which is I find very rare, but marketing online where people are, because that's where they are, will pick up the, the clients that you know are gonna be open to you um, and might actually change the minds of people who think you're not out there. Right. Um, yeah. And, that's something else, if you don't mind me just going on with that, that technology seems to be the, the big um, game changer for, for lawyers coming up. Um, more consumers, more legal, more Americans say that they are, I think it's about, I don't know, about half. I don't know the, the statistics specifically, but they, are, they say they're using more technology tools than they had before COVID mm -hmm. and are more comfortable with tech than they were before. And that they would actually, I think about seven in 10, say they would um, prefer to hire a lawyer who could allow them to share documents, not just by email, but through an online portal or an app or a website. Um, and, and do you remember when we did the research for Legal Trends two years ago and one of the interesting findings was how many people wanted to talk to lawyers in person? Yes. Well, now like six and 10 say they'd rather, even if they could see a lawyer in person, they'd rather do phone, phone or video. Yeah. So and this was a, I, I want to spend a minute on that because I yeah. think it's such an important finding. If we rewind to the 2018 legal trends report, the real theme of that report uh, was the, the Im immense chasm that exists between lawyer expectations and consumer expectations mm -hmm. and lawyers that expect that, you know, a, a client, for example, would be just as happy hearing about their case over a phone call. Uh, we, we, we heard, you know, almost the polar opposite perspective from, it was the almost opposite stack ranking from consumers in terms of, I, I want to meet in person first. And then if not that, then over a, a phone call, then, you know, kind of go down the list. And it was really interesting seeing um, this, this immense disparity between what consumers' expectations were and what lawyers thought those expectations would, right. would be. But it, it, it's also interesting, uh, I don't know if you think about consumer research the same way I think about product management, but one of the things I think about a lot is people will tell you the feature that they want in your software, but what you're actually trying to listen for is what is their pain point? Totally. And, and then, you know, engineer the feature around what the true pain point is. And the, the best most people can do, and it's a natural instinct for all of us, is express that pain point in terms of a feature rather than the underlying pain point. And I think when, you know, the, the, the catalyst that this COVID-19 opportunity is, is presenting is an opportunity to kind of innovate and experiment. And when a consumer tells us, I want a face-to-face in-person meeting, and many lawyers think that's, that's untenable, for example, there's no way I can accommodate that many in-person meetings and the logistics and the, the, the overlap and everything else that goes along with that, we're now in an era where you can say, well, try out Zoom. Maybe a mm -hmm. Zoom meeting actually creates 
90 or 95 percent or even 100 percent of what the consumer is looking for in that interaction. 100 percent, 100 percent. And, you know, I think one of the most for me, when I heard you um, deliver your presentation at that legal, that legal trends report in 2018, it still sticks with me. Um, the most powerful thing that you said, in my opinion, was that really what lawyers need to do is really think about product market fit. That they're right. not, I mean, they are public servants. Yes, they're doing a public service. That's right. But to think in terms of product market fit will allow lawyers to identify exactly what needs, what, what they need to do as servants, like what they, how they need to serve. Um, right. And that's where the pain point comes in. If the market pain point is your, what you're trying to fit your product to. So I agree with you hundred um, percent. I wish, I wish the legal industry thought that way more. I wish court systems thought that way too. Um, Absolutely. I, I don't think the court systems are really doing a good job adjusting. I don't think, I don't know, but, um, but the entire legal industry thinking more in terms of how is, how are the people that you're, in, you're supposed to serve hurting because you're not tech forward and how can right. you make solutions for that? Agree a hundred percent. And if we look back at the research that, um, uh, that's, that we'll be publishing together on, on this, uh, impact of COVID-19 on the legal, legal industry. Are there other trends or other key insights that really stood out to you in terms of uh, either lawyer specific findings or, or findings around how consumer behavior is, is shifting? You talked a little bit about the, the shift to new technologies and the willingness to adopt new technology. Mm -hmm. uh, we, we've seen that both on the, the lawyer side, on the consumer side. So it feels like technology will be something really helping weave together a new fabric for how clients yeah. and lawyers work together. Do you see new developments or, or other in interesting insights that will drive uh, the next phase of, of how lawyers and clients work together? Yeah. So um, just to push in on technology just a little more, it's, um, it was interesting to see cloud technology specifically emerge as something important to both lawyers mm -hmm. and consumers. Um, which is interesting because if we're talking about product market fit, cloud really solves for this consumer pain point or even legal or lawyer problem of unpredictability, which is what we're all dealing with right now. Like when you suddenly unpredictably can't, you know, share a paper document with a client in their, your office, um, or you can't run to the office to get a file. Um, right. I mean, it just kind of solves for having everything you need right there, no matter where, what the situation is or where you are. Um, so I, it seems like both lawyers and consumers are starting to recognize needing their data to be someplace that they can access wherever they are from whatever device. Um, right. Which I don't, I'm not sure that it was as salient to them before. The value no. of the cloud. No. And I, I, I think the way I've framed it before is I, I think on the other side of this crisis, people will view increasingly paper documents on-premise systems of all kind as a liability because the next crisis that comes along, whether it's a natural disaster or, mm -hmm. or pandemic too, it, it's a huge liability to have something that you cannot have, you know, living in the, the ether that is the, the cloud totally. and accessible from, from anywhere. And, you know, it's interesting that lawyers who resist the cloud say that, well, what if, you know, tech, like there's a, there's a virus or there's like, right. you know, some the, terrorist the, of, attack. Of the digital vi system. variety. Right. Or that, yeah. you know, digital warfare or digital terrorism. And, 
you know, everything that I have in, a cl in the cloud suddenly gets erased and then I'm, I'm kind of screwed, um, which is unfortunate because that's not quite how it works. Um, but yeah, it's, it's kind of, for some lawyers, it kind of takes a little bit of knowing and understanding a little bit more to, to recognize that the risk is greater when, you know, when you have a paper file, not to mention that you can, people can take it home, lose it, spill coffee right. on it. Um, there's, there's that too. But, um, but aside from, from tech, um, I don't know. I feel like there's some changes that we might be seeing happening in terms of what practice areas might get more or less attention um, from consumers, um, like trends in, because I think a lot of lawyers are also wondering, like, what's going to happen to my practice? I suspect there are a lot of traffic attorneys right now that are throwing up their hands and going, oh, crap, like I chose the wrong, right. I chose the wrong practice area, right. especially if they're right out of law school and they just started being traffic attorneys. Um, but I think looking at social trends, too, um, you can see sort of how some practice areas are emerging as maybe doing better and others not. Right. And I, I think we saw, perhaps unsurprisingly, but a huge spike in new matter creation on bankruptcies. Bankrupt. And I, w there will be the winners and losers in the, in the practice areas. And I, I think it's one of the interesting areas. There's some built-in um, resiliency in legal as a, as a field where, you know, unlike restaurants, for example, that are uniformly depressed uh, in terms of demand, we will see some practice areas see enormous demand and, and at least some lawyers mm -hmm. that will be in a position to pivot to those in demand practice areas, which is, which is promising. What one area I'd, I'd love to dig for a minute on the research, uh, Nika is around how consumers find lawyers. And mm -hmm. this is something you've again, spent a lot of energy over your career looking at both, uh, in your work with Avo and your work with, with Clio. Um, you know, tell us a little bit about what that looked like pre COVID-19 and, and, and maybe offer us your predictions in terms of how you think this will drive changes in terms of how, how consumers find lawyers in the future. Right. So pre-COVID, there was, it was kind of um, neck and neck, people who would seek referrals first versus people who would just go online and Google or look for a lawyer um, just by using, you know, their own resources. Um, and I, I suspect that a lot of people who seek referrals first, and to be honest, we didn't dig into this very much, but I believe that people who seek referrals first are people who are um, who have social networks that they expect would include lawyers, right? right. So there are certain people who are disadvantaged, perhaps. Um, I think anybody, like, well, we all know lawyers because we work at Clio or work with Clio or have a law degree or whatever, but others aren't in that position, so they need to look for other resources. Um, right. I don't think I don't think that that will change in in the post COVID world too much and the reason for that is that there's um and it's again like the pain point like what's the reason why people are seeking referrals and it's this unpredictability this uncertainty like how do i know this lawyer is going to do right by me and the best way i can know that is if somebody i know and trust vouches for them um and so the referral is still going to be very important but it's how they reach that referral that'll probably be different so 
it might be less over dinner and maybe more over, oh, I don't know, maybe even a Facebook recommendation. Who knows? Like it could be right. um, a more digital request or emails or something like that. Um, and, and, and do you think we, yeah. we see a shift away from, you know, how consumers find lawyers um, feels like this on average, fairly old fashioned way of, of discovering lawyers, you know, it's almost almost like back in the day when you would travel to a new city and try to find a local and ask for restaurant recommendations or talk to the concierge at the hotel and get recommendations. People still do that, but to such a small degree compared to the way they did right. 10 years ago. And now we just jump on Yelp or Open Table and look at the reviews and trust that as a really strong totally. signal for where the great places to eat are. And And yet with lawyers, it still feels like if you want to do a house purchase and need a lawyer to help support that, you're, you're asking the last friend you know that bought a house for right. a recommendation. <laughs> and it feels like this almost small town kind of way of, of, of finding lawyers. And when, when that opportunity for a casual conversation goes away, as it has with, with COVID-19, mm-hmm. do, you, do you think we'll see a, a, a shift toward the online reviews and online marketplaces playing a stronger role for how, how consumers find lawyers? So I, I think they've always been strong. Like I think reviews are gonna always, have always been and will always be strong. So even people who seek out a referral first, they're going to go online um, and, and seek out like a friend of mine is going through some family um, uh, planning issues and did exactly that. Got a couple referrals, looked online, mm-hmm. asked me, do I know anyone like people are doing both and those reviews are going to matter no matter what. Um, because for a lot of people, those reviews are so, sort of a kind of a, a proxy for a referral to like they're vouching for this attorney online. Um, it's just, where's that first contact going to come? Um, right. But I think because more people are online, and this is just consumer research I've done across other categories since COVID, not just for the legal category. Like people are just online because they're bored and they're just going to be there more and they're going to want, they're going to see more stuff. Um, so being there is the way to go. Yeah. It, it feels yeah. like uh, if you're kind of leaving this podcast, thinking of a few actionable things you can put to work as investments for the, the COVID-19 era, but also what you might regard as a no regrets investment for the post COVID-19 world, investing in, you know, closing the loop with your clients and asking for online reviews feels like one of those things really thinking about how do you pivot your client experience that you're delivering to a, um, a tech enabled Mm -hmm. fashion of delivering your legal services. So, you know, zoom and online collaboration portals, electronic payments. Yep. That's yeah. a big piece of it. Are are there other tips, pro tips you'd 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 share knowing consumer behavior so well that that lawyers could start investing in that that again they'd look at as these no regret investments on the the other side of the the crisis. So when when people are faced in a position of um, in a in a times of uncertainty, which we are in, um, <laughs> they are they're really kind of hesitant to make a decision. There's there's this. Um, this concept called regret theory. And it basically explains why people hesitate to, to make a choice, not choose the status quo necessarily, but just even choose not to choose. Like, I'm just going to put it off. So if somebody's on the fence about hiring a lawyer, um, they are, they're likely to regret their out, the outcome. And that reg- if they're, they're worried about regretting a bad outcome, 
and that right. regret could stall them. And if they don't know what the outcome could be because the times are uncertain on top of it, that stalling could happen even more. So there are certain tricks that lawyers can do in order to kind of make sure that people make a choice and pull the trigger. And one is, for instance, um, offering them the option of reversibility. So you can hire me, you can give me a retainer, but at any moment, if you want to, um, like, you know, maybe like a free trial kind of thing, like right. the commitment being low, dip your toe in, you know, and I think that's why fixed fee or flat rate services are really important because they kind of signal a limit to the commitment. They say, this is all you need to put down. Um, and it makes it easier to kind of take that step for, for someone who's especially looking at losing everything and um, not having a lot of money and needing to spend on a lawyer. Um, that could help. Um, but also just offering like a couple of options and no more would be also great. I know that lawyers don't often come with like a multiple options, but, um, but even when it comes to like handling the case, if you're giving a client advice and you're giving them like, you maybe could even be the first meeting and you're trying to give them a sense of what their case is going to be like, and you give them 10 possible outcomes, it's going to overwhelm them. They're probably going to walk away. Just simplify mm -hmm. things for them a bit. Make, make things simple so that they can actually make a choice. Is that, yeah, how, it's an important, is that kind of what you're is, looking for? Yeah, uh, it, absolutely. And I, okay. I think it's a really important point. And, you know, not many lawyers think about this, but when you're working with a lead, you're, you're trying to close a sale, really. You're trying to yeah. convert this person to a client. Um, and as we saw in the 2019 Legal Trends Report, um, most law firms are pretty abysmal at everything relating to following up with clients and trying to convert mm -hmm. them to, uh, to paying customers, to paying clients. Yeah. And uh, agree that there's some elements of that that are an uphill battle. There's not a natural... Uh, time pressure. There's there's not always a natural deadline that is going to force a decision. So thinking about how do you work against that psychology of the, the tendency, what I'm hearing you say is the anxiety around what the outcome might be actually makes consumers push back the decision to even hire a lawyer that will lead them to that eventual decision and eventual outcome. You know, all, all the kind of psychological uh, behavior that you should understand in ways that you can help streamline process, help yep. build empathy for your your yep. your clients as well, which I, I think is so key. And speak the same language that they're expecting to hear, understand the situation they're in, and um, and minimize the, the the paradox of choice that I think many yep. clients feel when they're when they're talking to a lawyer and, and yeah. end up just throwing up their their arms in. Uh, um, and, and, and walking away from the engagement entirely. Um, totally. Really, really important point. Uh, I, looking to the, sorry, Nika, did you have another comment there? I just wanted to say something. It was really interesting that you, um, what you said about it being really about um, closing a sale. And I think that when, you know, I, I went through law school and if you, if you asked me right after I finished law school and was ready to kind of go out and be a lawyer, which I hated doing anyway, but I was, if you told right. me, you know, really, you're just in sales, I would have probably wanted to punch you in the face. Right. <laughs> because I'd be right. like, I went through law school. Right. I'm not in sales. I'm a lawyer. Um, don't degrade my profession that way. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I think there's a misunderstanding about what sales is. And I think there's a kind of a sales has gotten a bad rap. Um, 
it's kind of traditionally been trying to con about convincing somebody to purchase something that they don't really need or want. And it's almost it's like the art of manipulation. Right. I think we've, as a culture, have moved past that. I think consumers Yeah, you kind of conjure up this image of the used car salesman that, yeah. you know, is, is selling you something totally. you don't need and don't want and, and gouging you while he's at it. Yeah, but I think we're past that culturally. I mean, that Agree. worked. That worked when you didn't have the internet. And the only source of information consumers had to make a, a purchasing decision came from that salesman. So they were going to say whatever it took to make the sale. And now that salesman can't really operate because you can get online and call bullshit on that. Yeah. Am I allowed to swear? On this? You call, yes. You call this bullshit. Is a, okay. This is a swear. Rated, rated mature podcast. Okay, good. Um, <laughs> so sales now is not that at all. Sales now is really about understanding the pain point, understanding what they need. And it's a service. It, it can be a service if you want it to be. And I don't think why I don't, I don't see a reason why lawyers can't approach winning over new clients in that way and just saying, what do they need? Trying to understand that, trying to understand the psychology behind what's hanging them up from getting them, not what you want them to buy, but what they want and need. And they're saying they want and need, but just aren't going through with, and then making it easier for them. And that's really, that, today, that's what sales really is, in my opinion. Agree. Good sales. I, and, and it may have offended your, uh, your younger self as well, but I'd argue uh, you know, making your case to a jury is, is selling. When you look at the most general definition of, of selling, I, I think lawyers are doing a lot of it, just not necessarily all that well when they're looking at bringing on no. new business, which is more uh, crucial than it's, than it's ever been. Totally. Uh, Nika, shifting gears a little bit uh, to, you know, forward-looking prognostication in terms of what the, the long-term impacts of COVID-19 might be. We've talked about how lawyers might, might kind of pivot their behavior to address the immediate crisis, but what do you see some of the lasting impacts if we look out five plus years and think about how did the COVID-19 crisis really change the legal industry? What, what do you think that that might be? Um, I think that Inertia is like the key word that I think about when I, when I think about how things are going to change. Um, we've been, before COVID, the legal industry, people, society, our society is, was a body in, in a certain motion, right? It was going in a different direction, certain direction. And then COVID came along and just kind of forced us to go in a different direction. Mm -hmm. And this is our direction now. We are engaging in behavior that's becoming part of our day-to-day. Um, we're, we're embracing new habits and new rituals that we didn't do before. Um, like I'm all nice up here. I'm wearing sweats from the, you know, like <laughs> that never happened before, but I swear to you, it's going to happen from this point forward for the rest of my life. Yeah. Um, but like there are things that we're just, they're becoming part of what we're doing. And even if social restrictions were lifted and we could all just go back to normal tomorrow, just even the short time that we've done what we've been doing has put in our uh, kind of our muscle memory, this, these practices that I don't think will ever change. And one of those is video conferencing. It's mm -hmm. the, oh my gosh, we can really work remotely. Like I listened to your pod when you and Dan Lear were talking about how, um, how you assumed that just by transitioning to remote work for Cleo would have taken like, you know, a month to plan. And then next thing you know, you're doing it. Like it's not that big of a deal. It's not that hard. Right. And it's actually beneficial in a lot of ways, like part remote work could be beneficial. And I think we're seeing things that we never saw before that we're now, that's now part of our inertia. Um, yeah. 
Yeah. And that's, we've, be- we've realized things that are, I, I, I think there's just thousands and thousands of law firms that are realizing, wow, our teams can work in a distributed yeah. fashion. We can leverage distributed cloud-based tools. We can leverage uh, video conferencing and parts of this are better than, uh, than what we expected. And I, I think likewise on the client oh. side, uh, I, I heard uh, the managing partner for um, a large VC firm in the Valley get interview, interviewed by uh, Kara Swisher mm-hmm. and he was the, the managing partner for social capital. And his comment was he, he works with, you know, really prominent uh, San Francisco based law firm. And his comment was, you know, the moment we went to shelter in place, his lawyers continued to deliver him, you know, excellent and actually better service yep. than when they were at their big fancy uh, office in downtown San Francisco. And uh, he feels in every way their responsiveness and quality of work has been higher in the COVID-19 crisis. And, and his comment was, I, I hope they continue working this way on the other side of the crisis, but also in the fees that they're billing me reflect the fact that maybe they don't need that million dollar a year lease in downtown San Francisco. So I think there's some, what I'm interested to see is what are some of the structural changes in the overhead that law firms need to carry on a, on a fully burdened basis that will get reduced or even eliminated in the post COVID-19 world that may actually increase access to justice and actually really help bridge the gap between consumers and lawyers. 100%. 100%. I mean, let's just get real. Like, do I need these earrings? Do you need that office? You know, I can I mean? barely like, see your earrings I know, behind your, like your even, headphones. <laughs> not, and I just did it because it's like, I need, I don't know why. It's like, part thanks of for dressing up for the podcast. You're though. welcome. I appreciate it. <laughs> it's, my, it's the first time I put on earrings in weeks, so I might as well. I changed into a collared shirt if it just to you. reciprocate the, uh, I was in a t-shirt uh, earlier in the morning. <laughs> Um, well, well, Nika, I've really enjoyed this conversation. There's uh, so much more to explore and I'm sure we'll do a, a part two when we've published more of our joint yeah. research around the impacts of COVID-19. It is, um, I, I think, uh, one of the most exciting phases of, of my career to see so much rapid change happening and in a way that is, you know, obviously negative in some ways, but also very positive in others. And it's such a a kind of duality to to manage in your mind mm-hmm. the, the fact that there's uh, a lot of devastation, a lot of economic impacts, obviously a lot of humanitarian impacts to manage, but also on the plus side, the silver lining, this unbelievable, uh, as, as you put it, you know, inertia building around change and transformation and people experimenting with new tools. So I'm, I'm optimistic yeah. we're actually going to end up in a better place as an industry on this other side of this and, and look forward to working with you and, and sizing up the, the qualitative and quantitative side of that, uh, um, uh, that story. Um, so Nika, to conclude, I'm, I'm wondering uh, if you have a, a main message you'd like to leave our listeners with, uh, you know, speaking to them either as legal professionals or, or simply as human beings. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, the same, the same sort of influences that, um, that, push consumers to make bad decisions during times of uncertainty are also, um, you know, they could impact lawyers as well because lawyers are people. Um, And I think, you know, if as a lawyer, as an attorney who's facing this unpredictable market, there is a tendency because you're human to, for your brain to do funky things in making decisions. You might be stressed, wanting control, feeling 
kind of worried and your brain's going to make bad choices for you. You're going to be impulsive. You're going to use shortcuts. You're going to make connections between things that aren't there. You're going to act because you feel like you need to do something when doing nothing is better. There's mm-hmm. a ton of things that you can do. And not only that, but you're in a social environment that's going to be pushing and pulling you in different directions that you may not really recognize or that may, um, may put you in a bad place. And this is all going to happen under the radar because that's how humans operate. Like that's, that's how we are. So my advice would be just know that this is happening. Just know that this is part of what's going on, that, um, that it's okay to stop and think twice before you make a choice, whether it's about your practice or your family or whatever it is, it's okay to stop and ask yourself, okay, is this really the right decision for the right reasons? Or, Mm -hmm. you know, do I find myself jumping the gun or using my gut too much because it's going to happen a lot more than usual in these uncertain times. And that, that self-awareness is, is more important than ever. More than ever. Well, Nika, really enjoyed this conversation. Thanks so much for joining us today and uh, stay healthy out there. Thanks. You too. Thanks for joining us on Daily Matters today, a podcast from Clio. Rate and review wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe so that you never miss an episode. Daily Matters is produced by Andrew Booth, Sam Rosenthal, and Derek Bolin, and hosted by yours truly, Jack Newton. Thanks also to Clio, the world's leading cloud-based legal technology provider, for supporting this podcast. If you'd like to learn more about Clio, please visit clio.com.